Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson skulle jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson. Welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy whose podcast is finally above the salary cap floor now that Brian bought himself a new microphone. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrovsky, and we've got a really fun show for you today because we have an interview with the beat writer for the reigning Stanley Cup champions two years in a row, the Tampa Bay Lightning, Ben Burnett, once again took over the interview microphone to interview Joe Smith about Tampa. It's a fun interview. You're going to like it, and we're going to get to it in just a sec. But of course, let me first mention that Keeping Carlson is presented by DauberHockey.com. Now is the hot time to be checking out Dauber Hockey because you're preparing for your drafts, you're getting the Dauber Guide, and you're making sure you're ready for your drafts. So be sure to be all over everything that's going on at DauberHockey.com. I'll also mention that this is a hot time at Keeping Carlson HQ because the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League registration window is open now. Now, between now and September 13th, you, yes, you, can participate in the couple next season. All you have to do is become a patron of Keeping Carlson, and then you get to join our Ultimate League, and we'd love to have you. So for all the information about that... Check out kakupfl.com, K-K-U-P-F-L.com. You'll get all the info about our awesome league. And, and again, fantasy hockey is for everyone. And that includes you, and we'd love to have you. But okay, with that, I will once again hand my microphone over to Ben Burnett for his interview with Joe Smith about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Enjoy. Welcome back to another installment of the Keeping Carlson 32 Beat Writer interview series. I am your host today, Ben Burnett from the Short Shifts podcast. And joining me, Beat Writer for the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, for The Athletic, Joe Smith. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And well, yeah, it's uh, obviously been a a crazy couple of years here for for the Lightning and a lot of you know stars on this group, and so I'm sure as people are preparing for their fantasy draft, uh, I would imagine there'll be some some pretty high picks uh, coming from this group. Well, and so one question that I do really just want to ask you, as somebody who's uh, you know a media nerd myself, um, I've worked in that that arena outside of sports for a few years. I'm really curious what it's like to be a beat writer for a team that wins the Stanley Cup. Like that's, I mean, it's got to be kind of an incredible experience. It is. I mean, it is usually. Uh, I think the last couple of years have been strange uh, right. for all of us in the media. You know, like, um, you know, haven't been within, you know, 30 yards or 40 yards of a player for 16 months until the boat parade, actually, uh, this year it was the first time, like, a lot of us got to see and shake hands with, like, Stephen Samkos or Kucherov or whoever. And so all the things that make what our job so much fun and, and uh, all our stories more detailed is those one-on-one conversations or the casual conversations that you just can't have over zoom. Um, so I think it's been the most, probably most challenging time for a lot of our careers the last year and a half in terms of trying to bring some top-notch coverage when you don't have that kind of access. And so it's something that all of us, I think, take pride in, in trying to deliver that. And I feel like I have with the lightning and I know a lot of my teammates have with the athletic. Um, but yeah, I mean, ordinarily it would be, probably you know the time of your life as a media member because you're either pat the fans are so passionate your readers are passionate they're subscribing they're reading everything you write which they still are but it's just more so like the 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 fun part for a writer is like traveling on the road going to city to city like 
going in into the dressing room and, and talking to players and having those kind of you feel more connected to what's going on versus you know last cup I watched it on on the couch you know they won the Stanley Cup and watched it on TV it didn't really kind of feel real and at least this year you're in the build you're in the buildings and when they clinch the cup at home you get to see there for the fans and the celebration right. and and you kind of felt like it was actually happened uh in real life but but yeah I think ordinarily for a run like this anybody who covers this team uh in Tampa especially um, a lot of great stories to go around and, and obviously the fans in this area have been made it a huge hockey town, um, over the last, uh, eight to 10 years. Well, and so, um, I think one of the most memorable players and, and performers from that cup run is where I want to start here. And that's Nikita Kucherov. Unfortunately, um, somebody who fantasy players remember a bit less uh, fondly maybe than Lightning fans because many leagues had already drafted before the news came out that he was out all last season. Mm -hmm. So fans of uh, other teams didn't like that it happened that way. But I I guess that, you know, that he was held out until the end of the year. And there were a lot of, you know, cap uh, compliance uh, shenanigans called into question. But I, I am curious to hear your perspective. Do you think that Kucherov was held out much longer than he needed to be? Or was this, you know, purely a cap stunt and he could have been back in, say, late April? Well, I mean, I think if you if you follow the timeline and you follow the, the precedent um, for guys who've had that same surgery, and I wrote a story about this for The Athletic, a few months back, um, talked to several players who had that same labrum surgery. It was similar timeline to what he had from the time late December until, um, you know, mid-May. And, uh, you know, obviously um, when you see him skating, you know, in mid-March or so, I think fans radar is like, oh, he's skating. He must be 100% ready to go. And, you know, people don't realize that that's kind of just the start of training camp, I guess, for a player who just had their hip redone uh, or their hip repaired. Excuse me. So I think that caused a lot of people to raise eyebrows when in, in actuality, he wasn't ready to, to get on and compete uh, at a full level. And um, I think, yeah, you could probably ask maybe the week before the season was over or, you know, May, you know, 5th or, you know, April 29th, like would he, could he have gone into a game? Like, I, I don't know. I wasn't a doctor of that, but the NHL investigated, had their own independent doctors go over the situation like they do with all LTI claims and, found no issues with it. So um, answer your question, you know, I don't think he was held out on purpose. I don't think there was any kind of shenanigans here. I think that, that's follow the letter of the law, which is the rule for all teams with LTIR and the lightning have been the, on the other end of that in 15, when Patrick Kane and the uh, Blackhawks, he didn't play um, until game one of the Santa Cup playoffs and he ended up being their leading scorer and they beat the lightning in the cup final. So uh, I know there's the shirts there, other than the number one bullshit shirts is like the $18 million over the cap and all sorts of stuff like that, which I think the lightning players are, are kind of poking fun at it now because um, they do have the last lap and winning Stanley cup. Yeah. And I mean, I always think of it as to me, it's always been a stupid argument to even really get into it because it's, it was allowed by the NHL. What it like, as if your favorite team wouldn't have done the exact same thing. It, it's just ridiculous, but we'll stick to, we'll stick to fantasy, I guess, or, or, or head a little bit back that way. And, you know, when Kucherov does come back, he puts up 32 points in the 23 playoff games that he plays. And to my mind, he could have been the con Smythe winner, but that's, yeah, I didn't vote and, and that's okay. Um, I do want to kind of ask, I guess, about Kucherov. Did you see anything as somebody who watches the team so closely, did you see anything during this cup run to suggest that we should be worried about that labor injury uh, lingering in any way? I don't think so. I mean, I think all of us were kind of 
impressed that, you know, from game one in the playoffs, he wasn't conditioning was hundred percent, but he was still able to do um, a lot of the moves and the, the shot was not rusty at all. And I think a big thing for him is he's not a very powerful skater, a big Alex Ovechkin guy who's going to, you know, overpower you. He's a guy who's a uh, very gifted skater, but he's a very smart, one of the most, you know, intelligent hockey minds I've ever been across and the people who coached in a long time have been across. And so he's able to not necessarily, you know, depend on his physicality or depend on the way he plays that way to, to be successful. And so I think he got better as, as the playoffs went along until he had that cracked, cracked rib in the Islanders series in game six and played the whole final and then kind of a flax jacket and getting injections before every game. And he still was productive in that final, I thought. Um, so I think with the, the given the few months rest here going in the next season, I think you're going to see a hundred percent Kucherov. And that's something you haven't seen since um, before last year's playoffs. Cause he got injured in game one against Columbus and last year in the bubble and then played kind of with, it was a groin injury that turned into a hip injury. So uh, this will be the first time you'll see him completely, probably hundred percent healthy, and he's already been on the ice a few weeks back. He already got back on the ice a few weeks ago uh, training like he usually does. So it's um, he should be full go. And I think on that line with Braden Point and Andre Palat, which will stay intact, that'll be a really, um, you know, point producing uh, trio there like they have been in the last couple of years. That's funny. Uh, you you took the next question right out of my mouth. Is that is that top line likely to stick together after Kucherov took over from Stamkos? So I'll, I'll jump into talking a little bit about point because I think it's really interesting that he, you know, two, I guess 2018-19, he puts up his career high 90 plus point season. Then the Lightning go into the playoffs. They get swept by the Blue Jackets. It, to my mind, the the biggest upset of our time, uh, just unbelievable result. And then each of the next two regular seasons, despite, you know, not being a guy who's in his late 20s or, you know, like if you talk about prime and, and where players fall along that line, like Braden Point should be very much in the middle of his prime. And yet in the regular season, you see his point totals trend downward. Then the playoffs hit and he produces like that 2018-19 version. And obviously he's built this superstar reputation based on those playoff performances. So I guess I'm wondering if there's something he's doing to help him step up his game in the playoffs and build that offensive production. And whether he whether you think he might, you know, bring back that uh, 90 point season upside, you know, maybe try and extend that into a full season. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some guys that are just big game players um, and and clutch players and have that Ed factor, and he's certainly one of that those guys. And I've written before, like he's done that ever since he was in Bantam and Midget, and you know, Moustraw Junior. He was a, as a rookie, he was a he was a star player in the playoffs and scoring game winners. So I think if you have fantasy over the playoffs, he's a no brainer um, high pick. And last year, I think he had what forty eight points in the regular season in the shortened season, like twenty three goals, twenty five assists. Um, and I think that the numbers were relatively low compared to what, and they were still good numbers, but I think what, what happened there is like, he had the puck a lot. He had to have the puck a lot. Cause usually with him and Kucherov, they play so well together, um, that, that Kucherov creates space for Braden. And so when you didn't have him, it was like, all of a sudden he had like a lead blocker in football. Like he had an extra gear where he could pass it to Kucherov, give and go and, and create space for himself where now before he was just carrying the puck and a lot of guys were, you know, going after him and, and trying to take the puck away and, and making him work extra hard in a, in a shift that he wouldn't ordinarily. So to answer your question, yes, I think he has that, you know, point per game caliber, you know, ability um, with him and Kucherov together for over 82 game season. Um, not only his, and his role in the power play, which was 
absolutely dynamic uh, in the playoffs. And that, and that number one power play, even with all the departures, these the soft season will still be intact. Uh, Alex Horn, uh, I think, surprising many by being able to stay here, even through the expansion draft and, and the cap and um, the Stamkos and Kuchar, as long as those guys are healthy, like that's a group that's going to get a lion's share of the power play time. So, um, you know, Brian Boyne, I think, is a superstar, one of the best players in the National Hockey League, in my opinion. Um, and I think so. I think you can, you can definitely pencil him in as long as he's healthy um, into that higher range. And the year before, for Braden Point, too, he had the hip surgery in the summer. Uh, the, um, so he didn't really get his full gear until last year's playoffs in the bubble. And so the, you see the numbers of the points dipped the last couple of years in the regular season. I think that's part of it, too. And I guess it sounds like you're kind of saying, which it's very intuitive, but Kucherov coming back is a bit of a rising tide lifts all boats, uh, which I think is really interesting when we talk about an Andre Palat, because, you know, he's a guy who really didn't look like an offensive driver or, a you know, a, a first line offensive driver in the years since the triplet line uh, sort of uh, had been broken up. You know, this was his first time pacing for 60 points over a full season since those days. Do you think that um, do you think that Kucherov coming back raises that ceiling again for him? Or I mean, sixty points for a guy who, as recently as a couple of years ago, was more of a half point per game player. Like it wouldn't be a knock to say that he's a sixty point guy, even with Kucherov back. Where where do you see him uh, production wise next year? Well, I mean, you saw him this year with fifteen goals in about fifty five games. Um, that's without Kucherov the regular season, and so I mean, you, you can probably imagine he's at least a fifteen to twenty goal kind of score. He still does um, get action on the power play as well. Um, you know, he's not known for his goal scoring, but he has that kind of underrated scoring touch, especially up in close. He does a lot of deflections, a lot of the dirty work uh, for Point and Kucherov. And they have such, for, for Pilate, he's kind of one of the guys that no one really talks about on those lines, but he's always the engine of those lines. And the triplets with Johnson and Kucherov, he was an engine there. And now with this group, he's an engine there that no one really focuses on, but it takes an incredible amount of skill and hockey IQ to play with those elite players. Not everybody can just throw in there with point and Kucherov and say, Hey, you know, make sure you read off of them just as simple as they can. Cause they think of the game a different level. So um, I would encounter him as like your number one, you know, top wing point producer. If you're talking about wings in the drafts, but right. uh, I think he's kind of one of those steady guys where um, he's been durable the last few seasons where just playing with those guys, you're going to get points, right. Whether it's an assist or whichever else. So, um, and, and he's a guy that's, plays in all situations. Um, and uh, I think they're going to lean a lot in those top lines this year because they made it until they know what their depth is up front. They won't have the Yanni Gordon line. That's kind of was like their second line, even though the, the Sorelli Stamkos Kalorn one is pretty much, they had a, a one first line and a two second lines basically. Uh, and now they're going to have to kind of figure out um, how they work their bottom six. And so I think you're going to see, you know, probably, um, you know, a little more lean on, on some of those top guys. And so you just mentioned the Stamkos uh, Sorelli line. And I think it's kind of interesting that the guy who, to my mind, is still kind of the household name on this team, Stamkos, is the fourth guy who I end up bringing up because he is he's their second line uh, winger now at this point, not even penciled in right away as their second line center. It's been two years where we've seen him really struggle to stay healthy. And it, it seems like it's always something different with him as well. He's obviously still a fantastic player when he's on the ice, but do you think it's fair to see him as, as an injury risk heading into next year? Or are these the types of injuries with the right amount of rest? You could see him like Kucherov coming back a hundred percent next year. Well, I mean, I, I think 
you know, he's going to be a lot better position than he was even for the playoffs. I think he was still like, he wouldn't admit it, but he said he was good enough to play and uh, he didn't have any procedures this summer. Uh, Julian Breeswell said there was no like lingering is- issues. I think it was maybe just some wear and tear, but he missed a month and a half of the season um, with an injury that he said was kind of connected to that core injury. And then kind of came back right to the playoffs and kind of went from there. And he was ninth overall, I think in minutes uh, five out of five of the forward group. So he wasn't playing a ton in that, but he was always the threat in the power play. So, I mean, I think he's going to be healthy going into the season. Like, well, he's in injury risk. I think there always is because, because he's had so many things that come up not for no fault of his own, but um, I think that last year kind of came a little bit of surprise because he had come off that second surgery and he was feeling great and it started off the season so well. And it was such a disappointment, I think for him to have not worked so hard to get back that all of a sudden have that right before the end of the season. Um, have to have another issue taken care of, um, whether it was a knee getting scoped or another lower body injury. We, we don't know for sure yet, but um, he's clearly now going to come back in 100% condition. And and uh, whether his minutes are up or down next year, he's still going to be in that power play. And he's still going to get uh, a chance to be in the scoring position. So um, I think people don't give him enough credit for for coming back the way he has overall. Those These are all serious injuries that if I saw one of these injuries for one player would be enough for a career, a broken leg, a torn meniscus, a blood clot, core surgery. Um, you know, a lot of these things are connected and things that are take a lot of rehab. So for him to come back at um, mostly elite level and and be uh, such a focus of a team that um, it's been really impressive to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's to me kind of the good that – when you're not a fan of a team and they go back to back, you st- you sort of look for what's the good story here. How can I sort of uh, cheer for this team or how can I be excited about this result? But honestly, just seeing Stamkos be healthy for that cup run, it, it, it was a good feeling to see him sort of, you know, it, he looked so happy in, in 2020 scoring that one goal in the mm-hmm. one game he was able to play. It was just an incredible story. And he, I don't know, being in that room, do you see a, did, did that seem to be something that was on his mind? Well, I think, you know, he no, no doubt said he enjoyed it. I mean, he felt he, he felt he was part of the one in the bubble. You know, he did score that big goal, but he didn't really feel like it was, you know, when you have to put on your, your gear after the game to go out to hoist the Stanley Cup, it's a different feeling, right? As opposed to going through the wars, the four rounds. And, and Sam Coates did play in those all four rounds this year. He did have some big goals and some key moments. So it wasn't just that kind of, you know, iconic goal. And that was it. Um, as much as he was so impactful behind the scenes and speeches and, and influence and inspiration the year before, this was actually tangibly played um, all, all the whole time. So he definitely, I'm sure deep down was, was big for him and, and his career to have place that second Stanley cup and, and feel like he was even more, more part of it than the last one um, considering the way his career has gone. And I'm like, if he retires today, he's still a hall of famer to me. Um, but um, he's 31 years old and feels like he still has a lot of hockey left in him. And until, until something, you know, takes that away from him or forces him to not play anymore, like he's going to play until he, until he can. Yeah, absolutely. God, I would be, uh, we're, we're lucky to have him still in the league. That's for sure. Um, moving to Alex Kalorn, a guy you mentioned a little while ago, he's really established himself the last couple of years as a guy who John Cooper trusts in an offensive role, you know, getting that power play. One time you mentioned he's, he's kind of plug and play in the top six, wherever there's a hole, he can sort of play up and down the lineup. Um, and, and he really surpassed Tyler Johnson in that role who, you know, Tyler Johnson, uh, years ago on that triplets line put up, I, I think it was 70 points in this season and, and really hasn't, wasn't that guy again. Um, do you think that 
it shows a lot, I guess, about how valued Alex Kalorn is to the Lightning that they kept him despite all of the the cap casualties that came up this year. Well, yeah, I don't think there's any question that they wanted to keep him this year. I think there was some nerve, nervous times for Alex because they he was exposed in the expansion draft, right? Like the expansion draft, they had to they kept their four defensemen as opposed to keeping all their forwards, and so he was like out of limbo. The Seattle could have easily could have picked him. Um, and they didn't, but they weren't, they didn't want to trade him, And I think it may come down to it, uh, maybe next summer to, to, to trade him or not, but he's such a valuable player, not in only in all situations. Um, like you said, he's trusted all, you know, all over the ice, but a big leader on this team. He's really grown the last two, three years as being one of the kind of faces of this group, both publicly with his doc talk videos and in the community, but, um, he's really kind of beloved in that room. And so that's what, when you are building a team and a championship team, you want to make sure you don't lose those guys. When you lose voices every year, you don't want to lose some of the key ones. So um, I think he, you know, obviously earned a lot of credit at so for playing, you know, almost wanting to play through a, what a a broken fibula uh, after game one in the cup, finally blocked a shot from, from Petrie. And then, you know, had a, was in a surgery two days later, had a, um, was a, you know, a brace on him and said he wanted to play in game six. Like, uh, that's just incredible hockey. It's a hockey type player, but um, that really endeared himself to to the team, knowing how gutsy he is. So, um, like you said, he didn't score 20 goals in his career until I think you know a couple of years back. Um, not that he was not capable of it, but he wasn't able to you know be consistent over a full season. But I think for him, um, you know, he has since he plays all situations, he's on that top power play in front of the net. Um, you know, there's a lot of upside there over a two game season for Alex Horn. And so we've seen a, a big exodus of players uh, from from Tampa this year. Uh, that entire third line you mentioned, who is basically a middle six line, they're, they're line two or line three, however you want to see them. Uh, Gord Coleman and Goodrow. Uh, you see David Savard leave on defense. Tyler Johnson, who we've mentioned. I, it's tough in fantasy to sort of um, to value these guys properly. Some some leagues count hits or penalty minutes, but I think for our purposes, I'm going to try and draw a bit of a, a transition here from forward into goalie. With goaltending, you're looking at wins, and so I guess the the impact that I could see with Tampa losing an identity line like the Gord line uh, completely is is something that's going to be tough for, I think the average fan to know how to, how to sort of uh, regress their expectations for Tampa without these, these uh, intangible players. And so I'm wondering, you know, Andre Vasilevsky is a guy who I have to mention, mention him in the interview because he's a superstar goalie in the league. Uh, Obviously he's been an incredible fantasy asset and I, I don't think he's a very intriguing player because no one's tuning into this episode to find out if uh, if Joe Smith thinks Vasilevsky's going to still be good next year. Yeah. But uh, I, I guess I'm reaching a bit for this jump. But if the Lightning do fall off a bit, that would impact Vasilevsky's win total a touch. So I'm just wondering if you see the departures impacting the Lightning's record in a significant way next year. Well, I don't think it'll impact it in a significant way. I think there are certain things that they're going to have to work on. They lost a couple key penalty kill uh, forwards in Goudreau and Coleman. So that'll be an area they'll have to kind of address, whether it's internally or uh, one of the younger guys or guys to step in and adjust in that. Um, I think that, like you said, those guys played the last minute of games all the time, uh, protected that one goal lead. So you might have maybe some more chances. You might not have that traditional 
third checking line this year. You might have a, a mixture of maybe Sorelli gets more of those shutdown minutes. Maybe you you know, Ross Colton has that opportunity to step into that third line center role um, and play more with like a Matthew Joseph and a Corey Perry or play with a, uh, one of the rookies um, there too. Um, but also one thing with Vasilevsky that I will be interested in this year is he's, he's been a, a workhorse the last number of years, right? He's played every minute of every playoff game the last two seasons. I think they're going to be cognizant of that this year. He, you'll see his backup. I think Brian Elliott play more than, than McElhenney um, did potentially this year, which would, would cut into his starts or his, he'll still start a lion's share of his, you know, high workload. But I think with the last two cup runs, plus the Olympic year where he'll be, the number one for Russia if they do go to, to Beijing in February. So you have to really be kind of careful. They've been fortunate that he hasn't been injured and missed much time the last couple of years. So, um, you know, what Elliot started 30 games the last couple of seasons, I don't know if it'll be particularly that much, but um, it wouldn't be um, shocking to see him between 20 and 25, um, you know, because if you want to be able to, you know, depending on what the schedule looks like, give Vasilevsky a breather here, knowing that if you, you're hoping that he's going to be, have to play every minute of every playoff game next summer. Um, right. So as far as for fantasy purposes, I don't think the, I mean, I don't think the numbers are going to, the windows are going to go drop off a ton. Um, you know, they might not focus so much on the regular season this year like they have in, in previous years, just to get to the playoffs. They don't need to win for take first place in the division to do it. They also played maybe tougher competition in this division too, with you're seeing Toronto more, you're seeing Boston. Uh, we saw how good the Panthers were um, this past year. And they'll play them. If they did last year in the division, only less times than they did um, last year, of course. Uh, Montreal um, will take a step back, but they'll still be good. So look at the opponents that they're going to play this year versus who they played last year um, kind of thing as well. But Vasilevsky, like my cons might pick this year, deservedly so. The best goalie in the world, in my opinion, and could end up being one of the best of all time when his career is over. Um, so no one's going to be expecting me to say that he's not going to be good. But I just think that overall it'll be interesting to watch, see what his workload will be like this year. Um, and how that plays into, you know, fantasy wise, how many wins he has or how many starts he has, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think bringing in a Brian Elliott, a guy who has played uh, significant minutes in past years and in, in recent years and has been okay, you know, back in the might be a few years since his, his better days with the blues, but I, I think the jump from Philly to Tampa, even just defensively, uh, would indicate to me that he will, he should be able to be a serviceable backup. And if I'm John Cooper, if I'm the Lightning, I'm more than okay with giving him 30, 30 plus games because I, I don't want to put Vasilevsky in a position where he might have to play another 90 games with uh, including the, including the playoffs. Yeah, I think they, they say like maybe once a week to play your backup or maybe once every four or five games, usually mm-hmm. kind of the, the sweet spot. I think Franz John, their, their great goalie coach, who's been a part of a lot of resident winning goalies or resident candidates, you know, said the sweet spot's around maybe 55 starts, um, you know, for a season. Um, no longer the 70 starts of the old year of, of Broder and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. a lot of teams you've seen have done tandem work, right? One and one A and, and the Islanders and other teams have played that. And it won't be a 50-50 split here. I think Vasilevsky, if healthy, will get over 50 starts. Um, but it's just a matter of, you know, how the schedule looks, what the Olympics are like for him. Does he take Russia to like a gold medal match and all of a sudden go heavy workload in that February, maybe give him a little bit of break. So um, I think he's such an important piece of this team that you want to make sure, and he loves to play. 
he doesn't want to give up his net. He'd play every game if you give him a chance to, but he's got a lot better the last couple of years of managing his own workload and knowing, Hey, I don't have to practice every day. I don't have to go to every morning skate. I don't have to do this. Um, I think he's learned the importance of rest and, and especially when it comes to getting to the playoffs and needing him for those big moments. And I guess the other thing, uh, losing that depth up front that you kind of mentioned it earlier, or we, we've sort of, I'm going to tie a few things in together here. You know, it's like we talked about Kucherov's injury and how he doesn't play until the playoffs. Could he have played sooner? You know, there's obviously levels to an injury and a guy who, a guy like Ryan McDonough, who breaks his hand in the, in the third round, he's going to play in the Stanley Cup finals. You're not going to play him probably in a game in October. So there, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a leeway that you have with injuries when it comes to the regular season. And I think, uh, you know, talking about Steven Stamkos having the, the luxury to be able to sort of ease him in and give him third line five on five minutes because you have that. Uh, that Gord Coleman Goodrow line, I guess losing those guys kind of puts you takes away a bit of that, that, that comfort level that you have in sitting out a Kucherov for a year, or, you know, in our case, sitting Vasilevsky for an extra handful of games to give him a bit of rest. Like, do you see, do you see that maybe affecting the lightning just that, you know, they don't have the luxury of, of giving their top line guys as much of a break as seasons past. Yeah. It's, um, a tough one because I think you've you've seen in, in John Cooper's era, era if you go back, he doesn't play even his top line guys like an overwhelming amount of minutes, right? He doesn't play if you look at the Austin Matthews and the other guys, they play more twenty minutes a game as forwards and the lending, you know, rarely in the regular season play their top line forwards that much. You know, maybe it's in the eighteen and a half, nineteen range or sometimes twenty. Um, he likes to be able to spread it around, um, not that the fourth line is going to play 15 minutes, but they'll play their seven to nine. Um, but he likes to rule four lines. It's a very important, but I think this year, interesting to see, uh, who gains that trust with him, with all the tinkering in the lines. Does he feel comfortable having a Joseph and Colton together in the third line? Does he feel comfortable going just maroon Perry and, and Bel- Belmar, Belmar there in the third and fourth line? Is that enough speed up the middle for them to really comfortable, three trio that that really could play well together i think so um you may not have that the trump card of saying i'm gonna put the Yanni gord line out every start of every period or end of every game so to learn different trust levels on which guys he wants to do that maybe that's the top line gets those or maybe that's the kitzarelli with Kalorn and somebody else gets that line maybe not Santos isn't playing that last minute of the game but maybe those two guys plus somebody else um so i think it'll be interesting part of the camp and especially when you have a team that's come back back to back in the same basically the same team now you'll actually have some new wrinkles in camp. Does like a Simon Wright first make the team? Does a Taylor Radish make the team? Does, you know, what is, what's Alex Barboulet's role? Um, you know, so I think there's a lot more wild cards this camp than there was in previous couple of camps because, you know, there actually are some people that need that spots that need to be filled and some guys that have been knocking at the door the last couple of years that are ready to fill them. And so I do typically do prospects at the end of my interview, but you just mentioned it. It's a perfect segue here. So, you know, your colleague at the Athletics, Scott Wheeler, ranked the Lightning's prospect pool 30th out of 31 at the beginning of the 2021 season. Um, but there are still a few interesting guys that didn't make his list uh, either because they were too old or um, that's that's the main thing is that a lot of their their younger guys are starting to get into that mid-20s range. Alex Barboulet is probably the most interesting guy to me. Ends up playing 15 games last year. 
I guess for him to be fantasy relevant, though, you kind of need a space on the in the top six. And so do you see a hole for him? Like, did, does Kaloran shift down and and Barboulet has a chance to to get top six minutes? Or do you I guess am I projecting too much because I want to find some new blood for my fantasy team? Yeah, I mean, I don't he did play some top six last year because of injuries. So he, he got a chance on that top line a little bit. Um which probably be better suited for him in those situations. But um, I don't think you're going to see that from the start. Like they'll start with the the top six that they had before and maybe a little tinkering, but you know, he's a guy who's going to have to show five on five. He can keep up and play to that level, that the way that they keep the lighting style of play. Um, he's a very smart player. The guys like him, the coaches like him, um, but he needs kind of support on that line as far as five on five. So I don't think they're ready to put him in that that role over a full season. I think what you'll see from him though, is that there is some, some vacant uh, second power play spots now, because you lose a Gord, you lose a Johnson. Um, there's going to be space available there. Maybe Corey Perry might take one of those spots because he's been a noted power play guy in his career. But you look at guys like Ross Colton or Barbule or Radish, whoever makes that jump, will get that probably get that chance in the second power play. You need to get, get some, um, some chances. Um, so, yeah, Bar- I think I'm going to be curious to see if Barbara does in camp. I'm curious to see if, if Taylor Radish, who had a tremendous year last year, or Boris Kachuk, if they have a chance to make the team. And those guys aren't going to be major fantasy players, like for your perspective, I don't think. Um, they'll be important players if they're making the lineup um, for the Lightning. But as far as top six, I don't see, you know, though the guy who I see making some top six minutes might be a guy like Ross Colton if they feel like, hey, we'll put him up there, some shifts with with Kalorn and, and Sorelli and see what he can do and or if injuries come into play. Cause he's the guy who you saw last year, even though he might, might not have been a quote unquote prospect under our Scott's rankings, you know, nine goals in 30 games plus I think three or four more in the playoffs. So he's a guy who's definitely has a really uh, great level, a great way to ability to score from any situation. And I think that that's kind of been what has kept the there to my mind, there have been two things that have kept this lightning team afloat and kept the, the cup window open for so long. Cause I mean, you mentioned them being in the cup final, what was it? Six or seven years ago now. Um, and then they peak over the last two years, but they haven't had to go find new elite talent since Braden point showed up. They've, they've just had that top end talent and they've been able to famously sign them for below market value. But what they have been able to do uh, with the, with their farm system and with their prospects is they've keep on finding these serviceable guys. They keep on bringing up Matthew Joseph and, uh, Barboule hopefully will join that ranks, but I mean, guys who ended up going elsewhere and turned into these bigger players like Carter Reggie or, mm-hmm. or Marcia. So like they, they, they've been so successful at, at churning that, um, at churning that prospect. Well, I guess until they into serviceable players, do you see any guys in the system? We've talked about Kachuk and Radish. Those are, those are the two that stand out most to me, but do you see guys who down the line, maybe not this year, but over the next few who could turn into the next you know, top six guys, top, top offensive players who might be fantasy relevant a few years down the road. Yeah. Like I don't, it's, it's hard to put that on their, on their shoulders this year. Yeah. Um, I think guys like people have been high on Cole Kepke. Um, I know he played in college um, for several years now. He's going to be in Syracuse. So he get a chance to play in camp. Uh, Simon Reifers, he played in the top Swedish league uh, with Rogel the last number of years. They signed him um, to a one year, two way deal. And they were very high on him. Um, coming into this year, as a whole other chance to make this team replace some top minutes in Syracuse um, this season. 
Um, you know, they have guys that they just took in the drafts, uh, whether it's Dylan Duke, I really like that pick, uh, USADB program. And I don't know if he's like right, right away or soon, but, um, you know, he obviously came from a great program and a guy that I really like, but they got really good value in that pick, um, pick there. So it's hard to protect a lot of top six guys. You, you know, I didn't, you didn't know Australia would be a top six guy, you know, when he came up, um, and I did that pencil in there. I know I didn't. Now he's in the number two center. Um, they don't have any points coming. You know, they don't have any of those top elite level guys, which is why the rankings for prospects are down because they really dropped in the first round or top 15 picks. They really, they trade those guys. Nolan Foots, for example, he'd be that top guy we're talking about, but they traded him in the Blake Coleman deal that led to their Stanley Cup. So you don't pick high and you don't, you know, have those, you know, elite level prospects. What people should be give credit for is the development system with Ben Grew and Syracuse to be able to churn out these guys that are more than serviceable, but the guys who can play in the Stanley Cup final, like Matthew Joseph or Ross Colton, who scored the cup punching goal, or um, you know, Cal Foot plays 35 games this year as a defenseman. Ben Thomas played as a defenseman, um, you know, and just guys that can fill in the gaps there. We don't need a Kucherov for a point, at least not for the next six or seven years because they're under contract. Um, but you do need guys that can come in and play on your penalty kill. You guys can play in your third line, now that Gord and those guys are gone. So um, their prospect pool is not going to be high on the high-end guys because they don't have – they haven't either traded them away or they haven't been able to pick in the high in the first round. But um, there are some really interesting guys that will be um, through, through necessity um, playing on this team the next couple of years. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things you would gladly trade a top 30 spot in the prospect rankings for just one Stanley Cup. So I don't, I don't think that anybody in uh, in Tampa Bay is too worried about about where they landed on the athletics. Uh, no offense to the athletic on this no, one either. It's, it's just, just, just what too, it is, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, well, I do want to – I got to shift back over to defense and – you know, this is kind of a team that it's a little bit chalk when you look at the Lightning's defense. You're like, well, there's a all world, uh, maybe the best, maybe the best defenseman in the world still, Victor Hedman, uh, racks up another Norris nomination despite playing hurt most of this year. And then I think the more the more interesting guy, just in terms of like, you know, what can he be still is Mikhail Sergachev, who for the fifth consecutive year sees an uptick in ice time and hits 40% of the team's power play for the first time in his career. I think anywhere else, it's a matter of time when it comes to Sergachev getting a shot, uh, running that top power play. I know he's done it before when Hedman's been hurt or even when in the playoffs in the bubble, uh, he had had a, a good shot on that top power play unit. But do you ever see John Cooper shifting the reins for that offensive opportunity over to Sergachev in a more full-time sense or even just having an equitable split between Sergachev and Hedman? That's interesting because I think the second power play doesn't get a lot of minutes or a lot of time. And he's such a valuable puck handler and, and point man on there. It's it's hard to take Hedman out of there because he's been that guy and he is so good on that. He has such a good feel for passing with Kucherov and Stamkos. Um, so um, I could see him getting reps on that first unit. What's more interesting to me is you have a Sergachev, a guy who if it wasn't Ryan McDonough in this conversation, he'd be top four right away, or he'd be one B with Hedman. But since you have Ryan McDonough playing at an elite level, hardest minutes of their blue line, the last couple of years of Derek Chernak, he's kind of stuck in the third pair, which I think most teams, he wouldn't be a third pair defenseman. And it's nothing against what he's brought to the table because he's really been a two-way force and you saw him in the playoffs blocking shots and playing the penalty kill, which he wanted to be. But 
you know, I think the real thing for him is I wonder if they'll ever say, okay, you're good at the right side. You're one of respite defensemen. And when we put you with Hedman full-time, like, are we going to give you that five on five minutes? That's the one thing that, you know, maybe he, there's a room to grow in that respect. Um, Cause while McDonough is here and while Hedman's here, it's hard to see him, you know, even Hedman doesn't play the toughest minutes in the team. You know, McDonough plays the toughest minutes. So like he's getting more meaty roles, but until you put him on the right side with those guys or with Hedman, then you're not going to have those, the top five minutes or scoring chances maybe he had before. So, um, so I think he's underrated as far as offensive ability. I think he hasn't shown, uh, especially last year in the playoffs, you think he's, his numbers were down offensively. Um, this more of a, you know, an opportunity thing and a confidence. He was so focused on his own end and, and rightfully so and he played so well, but, um, he's an intriguing guy where I think he could be a sneaky, like a sleeper pick if, if he's, you know, gets more opportunities and, and has more chance of the power play because he's so gifted offensively. His shot's one of the best ones on the team. Um, his, his creativity too. So um, he's a hard one. Like you mentioned, he's the one guy I'll be watching in camp where they put him. I'll be um, interested to see they're, they're always heavy on the lefty righty split. And they really like to prefer to have that way, but he can play the right side. And if you're like, let's play half the game with or more than half the game with Hedman and Sergachev and half the game with McDonough and Chernak. Um, that's a, a pretty you know, dominant foursome there. If you want to, you're laughing at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, and, I mean, you know, in your third pair, I mean, that's the, you know, you put Bogosian with, you know, I guess Ruda and Bogosian are two right shots. So you probably don't want to do that, but you know what I mean? Like that's, if you give him more, he's got more shifts with heaven the last couple of years. If you look at his, at his splits. Um, so he's got more time than he has in previous years during games with him. Cause heaven plays with everybody. He starts with Ruda. He plays with everybody pretty much. Right. Course of the game. He kind of roves around. Um, but that he'd be a guy that I'd be looking at in the camp being like, okay, where are they going to put him? Is, you know, he's part of his second year was bridge deal, you know, going into like kind of a borderline potential elite Norris defending player. Like where do you go there from here? So, yeah. And I think that, you know, Hedman getting into his thirties and reaching that, that era where I would be shocked to see him, you know, fall off the face of the earth and, and be yeah. unusable in the next four or five years. But you could see him starting to uh, you could see him starting to fall off in terms of being the best defenseman in the world. Maybe having Mikhail Sergachev uh, on the other side sort of tempers that decline and, and allows him to stay at an elite level a, a little bit longer. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll be the last person to say, or the word decline when it comes to Victor Edmund, uh, yeah. knowing what he, he does in the off season in the summertime uh, and how determined and competitive he is and just, you know, you talk to coaches, you know, we had a story by Pierre Lebrun that's when the Norris picks for every, every team. And it was such a polarizing argument because the analytics weren't in his favor and no one really knew how hurt he was until after the season, but all the coaches unanimously picked Kevin as a Norris winner because they see what he does all over the ice and how, as he goes off and the team goes um, when he's playing at a high level, um, which you saw some dip in the end of the season when he was, was playing through some injuries there. So um, I think the decline will come for a while for him. Like I could see him playing like Lidstrom did until late until his late um, years there. But I, I do think there's a flip side in saying, okay, maybe you don't need to play X minutes. Maybe circuit is ready to take on the young hungry kids. They take on more and play together. Um, so that'd be my one thing that I've kind of asked every year. We need to play those two guys together because they love playing together and they're good together. Um, but um, it's a matter of time, I think. 
And it's funny too, because, you know, in a lot of teams, when you have two guys who have that sort of potential, not that a lot of teams have a, a Victor Hedman or anything, but, you know, when you have two clearly uh, top end guys and the rest of the team is kind of mediocre, uh, you don't want to put them together because you don't want to, you, you need to spread out the, the love a little bit. You need to have a, a competent first and second, but the lightning don't really have that problem. They are fine on all three pairs. Part of that is having Sergachev on the third line on the third pair, but yeah, it, I mean, you could afford as John Cooper to put him up on the top unit and not worry too much because you have Ryan, another first pair defenseman uh, with Eric Chernak or sorry, Ryan McDonough, another first pairing defenseman playing with a very serviceable top four defenseman in Aaron, Eric Chernak. And then, you know, the top, the third pair almost doesn't matter at that point. Yeah. I mean, and Sergeyev has played top pair and he's played third pair. So he's bounced up and down with Hedman and then played back. And Ruda, I think I don't want to just all of a sudden just replace him. Like he's was bad because he was really good. I thought in the playoffs, he plays him as better hockey and not every, not every player can play with Victor Hedman. Not everybody can uh, fit his style and, and read off of him. And so uh, I think that's probably why the hesitation has been um, with the lightning and saying, Hey, we have something great here with the third pair. Um, you know, the left, the left side is great there. Third pair. He can help a guy like Cal foot come along. Having Sergeyev with him is great. Having Sergeyev with a Zach Bogosian this year too. That's a really good third pair. So they're like, we don't need to do that. Um, I'm just saying that they can do that. And the next step of his evolution is Sergeyev is getting that opportunity, but um, and maybe it's, this year, maybe it's next year. I'm not sure, but I, I could imagine that he'd be wanting more uh, going forward. But, um, you know, and maybe injuries will dictate that, too. You never know what will happen in a, in a long season. Well, uh, Joe, you've pretty much answered all the questions that I had about every member of the Lightning I wanted to talk about. Was there any player you thought uh, that we should that we haven't talked about mm-hmm. that you'd like to mention? Maybe somebody who you could see uh, performing to an unexpected level next year? Yeah, it's 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 hard because I'm, I'm I'm really curious to see like what Corey Perry does, right? I mean, he'll be he'll be playing a lot of minutes, but I think he'll get some some power play time. Um, and I think he's a guy who's me comfortable and not being in a star role like, like he has in the last couple in previous with the Ducks. Now he can just slide comfortably with that with this team. But Ross Colton to me is kind of an interesting case that I think if you're in fantasy and he won't be a high round pick, but a guy who's can give you some bang for your buck and 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 does does he follow up that you know high scoring upside i don't think he'll be nine every 30 games but i think he's a guy who can really um you know be an offensive factor um fantasy wise um not as your number one guy but as a guy about the depth in your roster so but other than that i think you know it's hard to go wrong with some of the top guys on this team and um they've all been pretty durable for the most part um so um we'll see how that, that plays out this year in camp but um there'll be fun to watch that's for sure Excellent. Well, Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us tonight and for participating in our 32 Beat Writer series. Uh, where can folks find your work? Uh, they can find it at, at theathletic.com here. Uh, I've been lighting Beat Writer here for the last three years with the Athletic in the last uh, eight or nine overall um, uh, as a group. So uh, and my my Twitter is at Joe Smith TV. Um, and if you need to email me, jsmith at theathletic.com. Love to hear your questions and uh, thanks for having me and Hopefully this uh, this isn't the one of the worst of the, the, the thirty two uh, beat writer sessions. So hopefully it makes the 
the top 15 there. So I think it will because Elon did 10 and now I've done like, uh, I think you're with the fourth that I've done. So I'd say, I'd say you're top four so far. <laughs> well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Um, good luck with everything and uh, we'll catch up another time. So. Back at you, Joe. I hope we uh, chat soon. Big point. Take care. All right. Great job, Ben. And thank you so much again to Joe Smith for coming on our podcast to talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know when you have a beat writer from The Athletic that it's going to be a good one. And this was no exception. So once again, to keep up with all of Joe's great work, you got to go to The Athletic and read the articles with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And of course, follow him at Joe Smith TB over on the Twitters. Uh, so, okay. Thanks for listening to the show. Next up, we've got our preseason content coming soon. Uh, this Sunday, Brian and I are going to be recording an episode about some of the biggest hits and misses from our projections from a year ago. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, we're just going to keep those episodes rolling. Before you know it, you're going to be drafting for your fantasy leagues, and hopefully we're going to help you do it right. Uh, by the way, if you really want to get that extra edge, you could consider becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson. Brian and I just recorded a two-plus-hour patron cast yesterday because I know you just haven't gotten enough content from us, right? So uh, the patron cast was a lot of fun. We answered a lot of questions, including listing a lot of sleepers and draft steals that we think you want to have on your radar going to your drafts next year. And a lot of silly questions as well. Like the patron cast is always a lot of fun. So for the information about becoming a patron, getting the patron cast, getting into our Discord community, joining the Cuckupful, all of that, just go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You'll find everything you need. But okay, with that, let me cue the outro music. I'll go ahead and read you the credits, which are that the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast is presented by Dumber Hockey, supported by our patrons, outro music by Pat Roach, logo art by Brandon Weave. Once again, this interview was performed by the great Ben Burnett from Short Shifts. And joining Ben to talk about the lightning was Joe Smith from The Athletic. And you can follow Joe on Twitter once again, JoeSmithTB. So that's it for today. We'll be back at you with another episode in a couple of days. And until then, remember to try to do your best to make it that fantasy hockey is for everyone.